0: This episode is sponsored by how to talk to your kids about alcohol. This is the most important course I've ever offered. The conversation about alcohol can be deep and difficult, and it can be a hard one to have with your kids. But this course transforms how you talk to your kids, your parenting, your journey, and it can help you create a relationship with your kids that's built on trust and respect and authenticity. In just a few hours, you'll learn how to talk to your kids about alcohol and most importantly, how to keep them talking. How to talk to your kids about alcohol teaches you the biggest mistakes to avoid when it comes your children and drinking, how to create relationships that are based on mutual trust, mutual respect, and openness, and what I wish I would have known as a kid before my first drink, and so much more. Please don't wait. Go to TalkToYourKidsAboutAlcohol.com to to learn more and enroll. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. So, all right, this is a really special podcast for me, and I'm so excited about it because I am here with Jessica, and Jessica and I met... In April at Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith's house, because we were together on Red Table Talk, which was so like, I don't know about you, but that day for me was like, so far out of my comfort zone and I was just like so full of nerves and all this stuff but um, I remember just we sat next to each other in the green room and had all sorts of cool conversations so I'm so excited for you to come on and like share your story which is not a traditionally like good mind story but I love that because we can explore all sorts of different modalities and I know you've like had a journey through how things have worked for you so anyway welcome
1: Jessica I'm so glad you're here Uh, thank you for having me this is awesome you know two years ago, I remember I couldn't, I was still in disbelief. You know, I remember, yeah, being at their house and trying to go to the bathroom and accidentally starting to wander down the wrong hallway. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want to enter their actual house. Let me go find like the guest restroom. But it was just so surreal. And I was so honored to be there. And then, you know, just reading, like having the opportunity after meeting you and reading your books and just like getting with Sober Black Girls Club and staying in touch there with Katie, you know, it just really, That experience opened my eyes for the first time to the world of recovery um, outside of 12-step programs. Um, which was a necessary conversation that I needed to have. Um, And I'm was i just so grateful that I walked on that set with an open mind to like learn from you all as the other guests on the show because um, there was so little that I had been exposed to. So if you're listening, hi, I'm Jessica and um, I've been alcohol-free since November 28th of 2020. Um, I was a really successful public school teacher. I was actually named the Kentucky State Teacher of the Year in 2019. So while I was this incredibly successful professional, I'm also like a first generation American. So lots of pressure for my immigrant family to do well, while I was doing really well on the outside, I was also struggling with a double life, which I know so many of the listeners deal with, you know, I was drinking alcohol in excess of basically a fifth a day in the last year of my drinking. And it got so bad that I developed alcoholic liver disease, which I subsequently recovered from by not drinking. Thankfully, how, how old were you? Oh, I was like 34 when I had the diagnosis. So I was really young, which is, you know, in line with all the latest news stories, right? Covering women and the impacts of their drinking on their bodies. Um, I was like the classic textbook case, really young, but really sick. So anyway, um, I got, once I finally got sober in um, Louisville, Kentucky, which is where I was living and working, um, I got exposed to Alcoholics Anonymous via treatment. And typically my experience in treatment facilities, and I know because I've been to about eight of them um, when I was struggling, is that pretty much the one narrative that is offered, which works for many people, right, um, is the 12-step program, which, you know, you all can Google that and figure out what it is if you need more details. But essentially, you know, I did it happily because I, it was the only thing I knew of. It was the only thing that was I was exposed to in those settings. And Honestly, when I walked into those meetings, I was also given a really heavy impression that that was the only way to stay alive. And Mm -hmm. because I did almost die, you know, I had blood alcohol levels that were incredibly dangerous. I had experienced a really bad car accident, suicidal ideation. You know, I had really gone through it and was in a really dark space. I was pretty much convinced that that was the only way to recover and you know, to the point that when I first started to try to stop drinking, I would avoid medications. You know, I was just like, well, it's this is supposed to work. And then I did end up, you know, a couple months into my early recovery, um, I was invited to be on Red Table Talk, which is kind of like my first real time, like, of meeting people in the real world who didn't drink but were happily not participating in twelve step programs. And I remember flying back from LA with lots of questions for my therapist because I did, at that point, I had gotten a therapist and I did decide to get on medication, even though that wasn't traditionally recommended by the program. And once I, what medication? So I was on a few, I was, so I was diagnosed by, by the time I went to treatment for the last time, I consented to a full evaluation and I was diagnosed with bipolar two. So for anyone listening, um, bipolar two, you don't become fully manic. So you experience some symptoms of mania, but what kind of marks bipolar two is um, having a lot like the episodes of depression are very powerful and they're episodes of it. And then, you know, basically kind of looking at my timeline from college up until that point, um, that pretty much lined up with bipolar two. The other question though, which I always have is that those symptoms also appeared when I started drinking and I, you know, it's the chicken or the egg conversation. And I think that my alcohol consumption is what triggered those episodes of depression, which we do see that in research that, you know, alcohol does contribute to mental illness. And I know you talk about it in this naked mind as well, but anyway, I came back from the show from taping on Brent table talk with questions to my therapist. And, you know, she was like, well, what's stopping you from trying and I was like I'm scared that if I stop going to meetings that I'm going to relapse Mm -hmm. and she was like this is your decision to make and she was like from what I see I see like a young woman who is really actively involved in her recovery she's like you're actively involved in therapy you have been connecting with people not just in 12-step programs but you've been starting to make friends like on Instagram and online and just kind of connecting with other people and she was like and what evidence are you seeing? And I was like, well, what I'm seeing is that not everyone is an AA who is not drinking and they're okay. And she was like, so maybe try it and see how you feel. And um, that's basically just what I did. I mean, I remember like, there was a meeting that I usually went to that it was okay. I mean, I, of course, like I enjoy the people and I still have friends who are in the program, but you know, the obligation to show up for the meeting was something I wasn't really excited about. So I remember when that meeting happened and I didn't sign on, I was kind of like a little nervous, but nothing happened. I mean, I think eventually a couple people just checked in to make sure that I was okay. And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. Like everything's great. You know, they're my friends on social media. So they see that I'm alive and I'm doing well. But, you know, here I am, I never picked up a drink after that and I'm still, I'm doing really well. And I've just found support groups that weren't just in the 12-step program. Um, So, you know, there's people who I work with who are in AA and I work with them and that's fine. But I think like what I really learned is that our recovery, you know, we have to do what's best for us and maybe like at certain points, certain things work and then it's okay to always like stop and evaluate is my program working for me? Is the person I'm working with still a good fit? Is this therapist? Like I recently broke things off with one therapist and got a new one because I felt like things had gotten a little stagnant. So, you know, I think like what I've come to learn in these first two years is just, we're always growing and we're always changing and we're just soaking up information. And as long as we stay alcohol-free, like, you know, it's kind of like the world is our oyster, but that's kind of like my journey so far up to here. <laughs> I love that.
0: So there are so many things I want to kind of like touch, touch back on. First of all, going all the way back to the beginning. So you said your first generation, where's your family from?
1: Yeah. So my father was from Cuba and my mom is from Costa Rica. And so I was born and raised in New York. Um, And yep. So, you know, the classic American dream, very disciplined with us, wanted us to do really well in school, lots of pressure, you know, that kind of thing.
0: That's awesome. I I spent a summer when I was 19 years old in Costa Rica like a language immersion school and it's like one of my favorite places. It's just it's such a beautiful culture. And I've never been to Cuba but I've heard really cool things.
1: It's a fun place. <laughs>
0: awesome. That's so fun. So then I guess I I want to go back to you said something that I thought was really interesting is like that fear that this was the only way to stay alive. And I've heard this from another friend who had been in AA and she and I were having like a very candid conversation about it. Uh, And she had a very similar journey to you where she had kind of like recovered initially, like her initial um, stopping of drinking was through AA, but then she started to really question the fear she felt because she was learning all of these things about just like your thinking and, and, and sort of feeling like, well, fear doesn't feel like a very resourceful emotion for me at this point in my life. Anyway, she said, that she had been told that you can not have another drink in safety like you another drink will lead to you dying and that was kind of the the overarching sort of zeitgeist of that program that if you if you drink again you would die and and i remember thinking um, because in this Naked Mind, and I don't know how much you are familiar with it, but we call, if you drink again, it, we just it's just a data point, right? And it's just like, okay, it's just data, just learn from it, just move on, just pick yourself up. And interestingly, when somebody in kind of this world has a data point, they usually have a drink, and then one drink in, they realize, oh yeah, that was stupid. And then they don't drink anymore because there's no shame. Whereas I understand like in the AA world, she said, no, usually because you've broken your streak or you've broken your sobriety time, that one drink, you just get on, like, there's actually a scientific phenomenon called the what the hell effect. And you just get on the what the hell effect. And you're like, F it, man. Like I'm, I'm just going for it. Cause I've already ruined everything. And then you are very much in, in I mean, you could kill yourself on a bender, right? So I'm just kind of curious, because I've heard this from two places, and I'm just like, I'd love to hear more about that, you know, the only way to stay alive sort of concept.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, because I dealt with drinking again, like making choices to drink, relapses, slips, whatever the term is that folks are comfortable with, you know, that happened to me a lot. And I was so, so, so depressed that when I was making that choice to drink, it was on. And, you know, typically I had pretty serious consequences after that. So because that had been my only experience with drinking again after saying that I was stopping, you know, I did very genuinely believe for me to drink again would be to die, Um, Now, again, as I've increased my contacts with folks, I personally am just choosing not to drink because I'm happy not drinking at this point. I don't really care to experience life. Like, I don't think I need it. I don't believe I do, but I have seen people with my own two eyes who maybe have decided like they've had a drink it just, like you said, it didn't do anything for them. And then they let it go. And I've recently been reading another book, um, The Biology of Desire. And, you know, the testimonials in that book, almost everybody in there is doing great. And almost everybody in there tried whatever their drug of choice was. And it just didn't do anything for them because they had already done all the work to kind of like restore themselves neurologically. And- and to me, that was fascinating because it's like, oh, so here's this concept. Healing is actually a concept. You know, to me, I never thought of that because I was also always told it was a disease that was progressive that would kill you if you drank again. So I 100% agree. And I think that, you know, the idea of drinking again, once you've stopped the shame that comes with it, that's very true. I remember struggling a lot anytime I did drink again and I shared without a doubt, there was always someone who made me feel bad. There were always people who were like, I'm so glad you're back. Keep coming back. So happy that you're here. But without a doubt, there was definitely always somebody in the meeting who would share in a way that made me feel worse. And there was no kind of moderating in that space to say, Hey, don't put a person down if they like relapse, like, you know, let's, let's just be happy they're back and they're with us. You know, there wasn't any kind of like that kind of moderation in the group settings. So, you know, I hated it because I was told I had to share if I drank again, but then I felt like poop. (laughs) And then that made me want to like go drink more. So it was just a really hard environment to deal with. And not every group was like that, of course, but, you know, it felt like that in a lot of spaces that I was in, whether they were virtual sessions or going in person.
0: So I'm going to ask a question and this is just going to be like off the top of my head. So this is
1: unfiltered conversation. (laughs) We are just having
0: a conversation and I, I love that. And, and first of all I will say that when this this friend of mine who I was talking to before and it was probably true for like that belief was actually really helpful to her because at that point in her recovery, the idea that like alcohol, like a drink was equal to death, like kept her sober enough to get enough time away that she could start to heal. And so like, I think that, you know, I mean, I think that anger can be a resourceful emotion, right? If we get mad enough at like the alcohol industry, then it propels us not to drink. Or if we, if we get enough fear, because humans were motivated away from pain and toward desire. And of course I like to do all the like toward desire rather than away from pain. But I've recognized that like that away from pain is potent, potent fuel. So I wouldn't, you know, ever discount if, if you're feeling like that's a belief that's keeping you, keeping you there Then like more power to you. I, I honestly think that whatever, whatever works for any individual is, is awesome. My question is this. Okay. So And it just kind of popped into my mind, as you said, that people would sort of make you feel bad, maybe on purpose, maybe on accident, but I had a friend who was sober seven years with AA and she, uh, and I, she's now sober 12 years with AA, by the way. And she sponsors tons of people. She like loves it. She's very passionate, but at this point it was seven years. So this was like five years ago. And we were, this is like a college friend. There's a group of five of us, all of our husbands, all of our kids. We all went on a, on a little like ski vacation. And so we're all in this condo and another friend of ours pours this glass of whiskey and she walks away. And my friend and I are sitting at the, at the table at the, like, and, and she picks up the whiskey, the sober friend smells it longingly and then puts it back down with this like forlorn look on her face. And I'm sober maybe a year, but I got sober in the, very much that like, I never have to drink again. I'm so thankful. I'm like, like alcohol is stupid. Like I just, you know, I really, it wasn't, it was a very different experience. And I looked at her and I was like, do you still want to do that? And she was like, yeah, like, Sometimes Annie, sometimes I think that I could just go to an airport where nobody knew me and I could just go to the hotel bar and I could just order like two or three dirty martinis and just get drunk. And and I'm like, really? Like you really seven years later. And so I just wonder if in that kind of subtle making you feel bad, do you think there's any jealousy there?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, I can't imagine anyone having been jealous of, because I, you know, like I I would roll into a meeting and share, oh, I drank again after like getting out of the hospital. So I would, I would hope nobody was jealous of me in in that context. However, I could totally see that in the context of someone who drank again and they're like, yeah, I didn't like it. I'm, I'm good. I could see that for sure. But you know, my experience wasn't that, you know, like I would hope nobody would want to have tried it again. Like, in my circumstance, it was more
0: of a cautionary
1: tale. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question though. I mean, and I, I can see that in
0: my, eye, in my mind, because I'm like, I remember early days for me before kind of, I had, cause I had, I had gotten sober in such a radically different way. And I don't even really use that term. I just like you, I'm like, yeah. I don't want to drink. I just haven't wanted to drink. It's been over eight years now. It's just like how it is in my life. Right. And, but, but it, early days, I was very, immersed in all the groups, right? And I remember just, and I had gone to one AA meeting right before I published the book, because I wrote about AA, I had researched AA. So I wanted to experience a meeting myself. But other than that, it was all online, all, all forums. And I remember people posting about a relapse or drinking again, and, and people just coming down so hard on them. And I was just thinking like, what good is that doing? And I remember just feeling like, are you just like, mad that they allowed themselves to do something that you want to do too. And you're not letting, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, and so I, don't know. I wonder if there's just, cause humans are so we're so, we're so messed up in our heads sometimes, you know yeah. what I mean?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Yeah. I would, I would hope not, but I, I could see that in certain cases for sure.
0: Interesting. It just popped into my mind. Okay. The second thing I want to talk about, um, Speaking of this like fear thing, so I don't know if you remember this, but I remember this so vividly. So, okay, so we had the funniest, well, strangest day. So we were supposed to show up and at at, at the Smith's house, and we were supposed to be there for what, two hours or something. And we were supposed to be on the same episode as Kelly Osborne. Yeah. And so it was a whole big conversation with like people who had found alternative sobriety and people who found traditional sobriety, and Kelly, who had relapsed during the pandemic. And what ended up happening is that Kelly and Jada and Willow and Gammy ended up talking for so long that they're like, this needs to be a a separate episode. And it was really funny because I remember at the very end of the day, I was the very last guest. And so (laughs) it was so, it was so sort of behind the scenes, but the Smiths and they were just tired. So They said, okay, we're going to record their questions later. So I'm going to ask you the questions Jada's going to ask you. And you just talk to me. So I was just talking to like some stand-in rando person. And I was like, this is hilarious. That's hilarious. um,
1: Yeah,
0: it was like after everybody left, they're like, we didn't really get enough time. So you stay and we're just going to like do this. So I was just by myself at the red table, just talking to the the camera guy. It was like so funny. Um, But I was like, this is all the behind the scenes. No show is edited better than that show. They do such a great, good job. But anyway, so we were sitting back there and I remember you and I were kind of chatting and, you know, Earl Sober Club and everything she was doing. And then I remember getting really distracted because Kelly was saying something. And what she said was that uh, she relapsed during the pandemic and she, and then Gammy was saying, okay, well, since that has happened, do you have a support system? And she said that no, because her women's group disbanded because 90% of them had also relapsed. And I just remember it like a sucker punch in my gut. I'm like, when these women need each other the most, the shame is such that this group, like they stop showing up for each other. Cause they all feel ashamed. Like we need each other the most in the shame. Right. And I was like, Oh no, did that just happen?
1: Wow.
0: Do you remember I, that?
1: I don't remember. I feel like I remember parts of that. I remember I remember their episode like going on and I remember her talking about the details of the relapse, but I don't remember that detail. And I could have been having a side conversation and completely missed it. <laughs> I just
0: but, was so shocked by the fact that that group, which I assume, I, I think Kelly went to a 12-step group. I know it's like anonymous and so not everybody says, they just say meetings or whatever, but I, no matter what it was, I was like, wow, to to not, to everybody just leave the group. That's just so counter- yeah almost
1: yeah I mean well one of the things that I've seen like I've seen like let's say back when I was in AA back in um, Louisville like sometimes what would happen is if one person relapsed it like there would be like kind of like a trigger of them or oh. I had a few instances like let's say when I was in treatment if a few people maybe they were friends or something they all got released from the treatment facility and I was still there like they might end up all back in treatment like within a couple of days, because maybe like they went out and they like used together. I've seen things like that happen for sure. I mean, you know, the, the tricky thing is it's that, you know, if, if it's a group of you and you all are being supportive, but if you're also kind of all struggling and maybe like not at your strongest, you know, it, all it takes is, I mean, I think about like, let's say, you know, diet culture, it could be like two, three people. They're like, oh, none of us are, we're all going to go out to dinner and quote unquote, we're going to eat really well and then one person breaks and then the rest of them are just like okay sure like we'll all eat cake or you know things like that that I can completely see happening because you know I think it's just if we're I think which you talk a lot about in your book and then I've been seeing it again also in the biology of desire it's the whole like basically white knuckling it and like restraining yourself from not drinking not because you want to not drink, but because you're obligating yourself to, I think that mindset is really important. And it's like, until you have the switch in your mindset to where you really don't want it, I think the process of abstaining is really hard and, you know, and other people starting to drink or break around you, like that can just easily set you off. Because I think there's so much to be said for intrinsic motivation, you know, and for wanting to be alcohol-free, there's nothing like it. I can't explain that feeling. So when know. did
0: that happen for you? Like,
1: how did it, how did that wanting part kind of click for you? I feel like the wanting part really clicked when I was over the consequences. Like when I got in treatment the last time, I was just like, oh my goodness. Because I remember it was like a blur. Like I remember, you know, I was living with my sister and, you know, I had agreed to not drink in the house and I sort of didn't want to, but I wasn't really over it yet. And I like ordered like some alcohol delivery, snuck out the house. And I remember grabbing the bottle and starting to drink. And then before I know it, I'm in an emergency room. So it was like really, really fast and really, really extreme. Um, Like this binge drinking, I think because I didn't want to get caught. I just wanted to get it done over and fast. And that happened so quickly and spiraled so quickly out of control. I was just like, I'm so tired of completely losing control. I'm over not knowing where I'm going to end up. I'm over scaring my family I'm over it all. And so I was just finally like really sick and tired of it. And that was enough for me to say, like, I don't want this stuff. And I know that not everybody gets to that point in different places. Like some people thankfully don't have to go that far down, but for me, I was just so, so ashamed. I think that I couldn't, I couldn't accept it until I finally was just at that exhaustion point.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. So can you share more? You said you were in multiple like treatment centers. Can you share more about like that and that whole experience?
1: So, yes. Yeah. So I did go to treatment several times in different capacities. Um, initially I went to a detox to stay in, it was an inpatient treatment. on um, the first time that was September, 2019 and essentially I didn't know the risks of trying to stop drinking on your own. I just knew that every time I was trying to stop, I was getting so, so sick. So I did a Google search and I found this local facility in Louisville and I, I went and immediately they were like, yeah, you need to stay here. You can't detox by yourself. That would be incredibly dangerous. And they let me know that you know I could get a seizure or um, any a combination of heart problems, things like that. So I stayed there. But all I did was stop drinking. I literally did no work. I didn't dig into a why I didn't consent to like having a full evaluation, nothing. I just kind of put a bandaid on it for that time being. And then I left. So I was okay for probably about two, three months. And then when the holidays came, I got really lonely and I drank again. Um, So I ended up right back at that facility. And again, I, it was just putting the bandaid on Um, when I left the facility, even though I had been attending some 12 step programs at the time, I hadn't talk to anybody really about it. I hadn't opened up about what was going on. So there was still a lot of shame. And I think that the shame really held me down. And so I hadn't really become free either to feel confident in as like an alcohol free person, because I felt like there was shame in being in recovery. So come April I ended up in treatment again. I was in a relationship and my boyfriend at the time, he was in recovery too, but his substance of choice were opiates. So when the pandemic hit, you know, all supports pretty much shut down that were in person and um he relapsed and tragically passed away from a drug overdose. And that obviously rocked my world. Sound right, Jessica? Like yeah. you yeah. found I was the one that found him and, you know, and it was this terrible police interaction as well. It was just everything. It was so, so awful. And that was the first thing that I knew how to do. Like, I didn't call anyone to say, Hey, my boyfriend just died. I like, please come over or help my boyfriend just died. Nothing. My literal automatic, like brain on autopilot. It was liquor store, home, isolate. Then I think once I had drank some, then I called like my sister and then I called and I shared with people what it happened. But anyway, essentially I, so that added to like everything that I had already been kind of suppressing. So it wasn't until I went to treatment that last time that I finally, you know, was really just tired of the constant consequences, the Constant loss of freedom. I mean, every time you go into anybody who's been in treatment, you know, anytime you go into those spaces, you lose everything. You're not allowed to go anywhere. You can't even wear certain types of bras. I mean, like little things like that, that you take for granted every day, you know, all those little freedoms are stripped from you in those facilities because, you know, you are deemed like a psychiatric risk. So, um, I was just really tired of constantly losing, literally losing my freedom. And that would just be a matter of time before, like maybe something happened with the law and it was a different type of loss of freedom or complete loss of life.
0: Yeah. Wow. Oh man. Well, thanks for sharing that. That's, that's so, so intense. So you seem, and especially when we met the first time and even now more so, but you just seem so so healthy and so full of life. So what sort of things have you done to reach this place?
1: Yes, so in terms of physically, I, I've become a very active person and sometimes that looks like being in the gym. Sometimes it looks like um, I live in Florida and it's a sunny day. Like I took my lunch break and I walked for an hour outside. So I just move whatever that might look like. I've learned to dance salsa. Um, I've opened myself up to new interests. So I've done things like that. Um, physically to kind of care for myself and have like a tactile thing to do with my energy and anxiety when it kicks in. But I've done a lot of journaling. Um, I've always had a therapist this whole time. I feel like I'm probably going to keep a therapist. I've worked with coaches. Um, I've really leaned on my support system and my support system isn't necessarily alcohol-free people. Like at first, I thought that my only supports could be Like in AA, I kind of felt like I had to be someone else in the program. And then I learned that humans can practice empathy without having the same condition. And so some of the people that I'm closest to aren't, don't have like an alcohol problem, so to speak, but, you know, they just understand that life can be hard and they're good listeners and they provide good feedback and things like that. So I've been very good about living intentionally You know, like setting goals for myself, but, you know, being graceful when I don't, let's say, hit a specific goal, it's just been open to constantly evolving, listening to podcasts, reading all the books, um, engaging with other people in learning, um, learning from others great conversations. That's really what I've been doing. And it's just been practicing a lot. of. It's, I feel like there's not one right thing. It's like a whole hodgepodge of things that have really helped me be where I'm at. And it's just like, you know, like I'll be turning 38 on Saturday and, you know, I'm doing a big birthday thing because, you know, when I was 34, I had alcoholic liver disease and I was like withering away. So, you know, just kind of like enjoying everything that I have. Cause you know, all that I have today is because I, made the choice to finally like let alcohol go
0: oh I love that so much that's just awesome so amazing well so let me let me finish up with two questions so first of all uh if people I know you have an awesome blog and you do some coaching so if people want to find you how can they find you
1: Yeah. So the easiest way is just my website, bottomless2sober.com. That's where you'll find all sorts of resources about me, the blog. I love for people to submit. So if anybody wants to write their story, I'm doing actually a free workshop for anybody who wants to practice their writing skills. Um, just go to bottomless2sober.com and yeah, I do some coaching there too.
0: That's so cool. All right. So the, the final question is sort of like, if you were going to go back to Jessica, who was really stuck and, you know, um, and losing her freedom in these different facilities and uh, just so in so much pain, like what would you tell her about what life is like now?
1: That's such a great question. Um, I would just be like, hang in there. I I promise you, like almost shaking myself, I promise you this gets so much better. Like you're so deserving of living a happier life and you're almost there. And I mean, it really is, it's so true.
0: Wow, I love that so much. That's just awesome. Well, that is great. Well, thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thank you. It's been so good chatting with you. It's been, like I said, it's been forever.
0: (laughs) So great. Wouldn't it be great if our children never had to go through the pain and challenges that we faced in our own relationships with alcohol? That's my greatest wish for my own kids, and it's why I created the most important course that I've ever offered, how to talk to your kids about alcohol. Now, even if you've struggled with alcohol and you're not sure what to talk to your kids about it, or if you want to create a relationship with your children that's based on mutual respect, mutual trust, and open communication, if you know that this conversation might be one of the most important you'll have with your kids and it just can't wait any longer Worker, then this course is for you it includes lifetime access to six video modules a bonus recorded q a session where i answer questions from parents live just like you an interactive workbook and our private and exclusive how to talk to your kids about alcohol online community where you can connect with others who are also navigating this important conversation visit talk to to learn more and enroll today